0: How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future.
1: Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day.
2: If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places yeah i have to say now we are in peace with this but
0: (laughs) subscribe now by following the link in the show notes and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together spaces podcasts go beyond the everyday because spaces shape society
3: The official start of any business, including an architecture firm, begins with selecting the right legal structure. Understanding your specific situation will inform that decision. The structure you choose will impact your taxes, regulatory requirements, and your personal liability. The structure of an architecture firm will vary depending on size, scope of work, and jurisdiction. What are your day-to-day operations? What is your partnership agreement and ownership breakdown? Who is licensed? Because business structures and requirements vary significantly, it is important to consult with a business attorney and accountant to select the most appropriate structure for your circumstances and goals. Common business structures for architecture firms include sole proprietorship. This structure may be suitable for individual architects planning to work independently. While simple, it offers no personal liability protection. There's also partnership This structure is ideal for two or more architects coming together to start a firm. Each partner shares the profits, losses, and liabilities. Next, there's Limited Liability Company, LLC. This structure provides personal liability protection by separating your personal assets from your business debts and obligations. There are also tax advantages. Finally, there's an S-Corporation or C-Corporation. This structure is suitable for larger firms. But note that some jurisdictions may require this structure, no matter the size of your firm. The structure offers liability protection, but also increases complexity due to regulatory requirements. Now, with all that out of the way, let's dive into the intricacies of our unique situation and considerations in selecting our structure. I'm Jeffrey Lee, and this is Emerging, a Gable Media Podcast.
4: None of us have ever said somebody's idea was dumb because they never are. And it's just trying to find a diplomatic way to say, this is why I think it should be done that way. And you never want to offend anybody in in your disagreement. That's a challenge. And I think that's something we continue to try to work
3: through.
5: I guess I don't, I just don't want to shy too far away from like, we're all working in silos because truly then I would just do this on my own.
3: This is the podcast where you'll hear what it's really like to start a new architecture firm. So far in the story, we've shared the origin of Lexi, Chris, and I coming together. We also shared our exploration into business models, our unique value proposition, and how we intend to make money as a firm. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear the full unfiltered story behind our journey to start our architecture firm. In considering our unique value proposition, one encouraging factor was our unique team composition where each excels in different areas of the business.
4: We're not super different, but kind of trying to figure it out. Like uh, the thing that comes to mind is that there's three of us and going to school in in St. Louis, HOK, Loom's very large. And I remember being in school and they talked about, you know, one person was the business person, one person was a design partner, and another person was the client saying you know get clients in the door i think that's like a older maybe more traditional model but i think the value there is having that we have is having three people who balance each other out i think none of us want to give up the design side i think none of us wanna 100% focus on the business side but finding ways that all three of us can take on aspects of it together i think that's a unique thing and i think that the fact that there are the three of us to balance each other out and and take on roles, especially while working full time. It gives us the ability to have one person step up when they're
3: have a little bit more downtime than the other. In addition to our balance experience, starting a firm with partners can be advantageous. The first, I think biggest for me at least, is it's not as scary to do it with some friends. You obviously have the support there, these is the support system got someone there to tell you if an idea is a bad idea. So yeah, going with the three of us, I think, gave me at least a lot of confidence to do it. And you get to kind of build, you get to pull from the knowledge base of three different people as well. So I think we all come from different walks of life, different experiences. It seemed like a benefit and still seems like a benefit.
6: I, I would imagine starting a solo business and if you still need to have a job on the side is like incredibly difficult. And we constantly have meetings, and it's so. In a way, it's convenient sometimes when one person can their schedule can accommodate something, and then your schedule can accommodate it the next time. And so that has really helped us to be able to maybe go after some other things, like an RFQ we just did recently, where some of us could attend the you know interview process, and some of us couldn't. So it's scheduling. Is helpful in the other, the inverse of that, that is also a challenge because we do want to build everything off of agreed upon consensus. And so that also requires finding time to come to that consensus and, you know, oftentimes revisiting certain discussions time and again to get there. And also just the pure logistical scheduling to find time to get to those decisions can be tough. But I would say the pros outweigh the cons, at least personally, because we've also done different types of work before trying to formalize this and worked in different capacities. So we each bring something different to the table, a different point of view that Jeff was kind of touching on that I find really important because I don't feel like I have personally have the full breadth of skill to just decide to start a business on my own so i would i rely heavily upon them for certain things and i hope they rely on me for others but i don't think you know personally i could have done it solo
4: yeah i agree with everything you guys said and i don't know if it's the same for you but i never even considered doing this solo
1: yeah
6: i didn't
4: really either in the in between years i did take on some independent competitions just to help find my design my voice a little bit more. but it was never a question coming to business, and I think it goes all the way back to that night at the bar, drawing on the the napkin, listing our goals as a collective. I think I think I always knew that I was going to be working with Lexi and Jeff in, in some capacity in the future. So I never considered it. and you know, along the way, we've talked to numerous other people in the startup phase. And a lot of them are soul practitioners or people who are doing it independently. And the first thing they say to us is, You guys are so lucky that you have the three of you. And I think it's something we don't necessarily think about because it it was always, you know, it was always going to be that, at least from my perspective. But when people point it out, you definitely look back at all the work that went into this and having to do it solo, it just seems so daunting. So
3: we're very fortunate. As Lexi alluded to, there are also challenges to consider when starting a firm with partners. In addition to scheduling conflicts, design and the process of reaching consensus can be a point of contention. We encountered this while working through a competition.
5: It gets more yeah, into good. like how do we want to work moving forward, and I'm all for like doing things independently, but at the same time, I'm not trying to start an office on my own. So like right. ideally, I'd like to have some kind of Even if it's quick working session or something, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, I know that it's my family thing too. So I understand that it's probably awkward to try to design something for my family, but like, I don't really want to do it fully alone. I would prefer if anybody has ideas to bring some of them to the table because I I don't work well in a vacuum. So just coming up with ideas on my own is going to be kind of not so great personally.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. Cause I think yeah. it also ties, ties into warming hut stuff. I feel comfortable like throwing ideas out there and, and working with you on it. But at the, the only reason I said, like, I'm just going to run with what you're doing is because like what we constantly like struggle with is finding consensus between the three of us on what to move forward as a design. And uh, like a certain, like after every competition, we've kind of talked about how that has been kind of like a setback for us and discussed like trying other means of working where it's like, you know, using one person as a lead design for a project and then the other two are there for like charrettes or sounding boards, but letting other people run through it. So I don't know, I guess I'm wondering if that is something we wanna kind of pursue as a working method, even in this warming huts thing, I'm like worried that we have basically two and a half weeks and today we kind of like need to know what we're doing for design. So just as a talking point, what do you guys think?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're all comfortable kind of taking a lead, right? Becoming the project manager for essentially for whatever, like how we delegate these different projects. So like Warming Huts, Chris, you've kind of taken the lead. You've definitely taken the leadership role there, getting meetings scheduled, coming with agenda schedule, things like that. And I think that works. I think it'd be up to whoever is the project manager for that, project and that scope of work determines should determine you know like if they want more help with the early sketches and want more input and then take a little bit of the legwork after that and that's great i think we're all on board to kind of support each other however we need to be supported but like lexi i don't know maybe if you want to like schedule a meeting halfway through this week it's just purely like a early design charrette that's great I'll, we'll try to make some time to do that but I definitely don't want to get in a place where one person feels like they're, they're taking on more than they can handle and they can't find the support from the other two. So uh, sure. I don't know what the, the solution is, but for me, looking at it as like, yeah, okay, so th- this person is the project manager for this this project. You tell us what you need, take on the responsibility of you know, scheduling things, uh, managing the project as as it progresses and keeping an eye on the schedule.
5: Yeah. I guess I don't, I just don't want to shy too far away from like, we're all working in silos because truly then I would just do this
3: on my own, you know, you, you don't, that we're not working in a silo.
5: Yeah. I just, I'm worried. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it goes obviously, but I don't want to end up in a position where like, I mean, person, this is my personal preference. So obviously mm-hmm. one third of the group here, but. I'd prefer to not like be totally independent from everybody else. And I'm struggling to figure out how to maybe I just haven't put it up on the table partially because I didn't really understand a lot of it until today when I talked to my parents about the bench. But I don't know. I just don't want it to be totally like alone yeah. every-
3: yeah i I think i kind of get what you're in the the design
5: process like i'm happy to take on like all the managing stuff of it and everything but like i don't really like i i'd be interested in if you guys have like any thoughts about or i or you feel inspired by some kind of granite thing that could maybe contribute to like a good design like i would want to hear those
1: Calling all small firm architects, it's time to tap into your full potential with Entre Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entre Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there.
4: And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be.
3: Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live
2: in the house, not live with the person who designed it so uh, for me,
3: the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more.
1: Gain insights to build a successful practice, subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.
3: The three of us being such big designers, were we taking longer by not having one person take the lead on something like that? There's also coordination, you know, challenges being remote that present themselves. Like sometimes two people would work on the same thing on accident, and some of the challenges of having three people for us. What we decided on was, you know, it might be best if we would rotate who leads what project and. I think we've had a couple other projects under our belt with that mindset, and we found that it's it's very productive. We can kind of get to decisions quicker. And I guess the challenge has turned into a benefit for us, but it was definitely one of the challenges that were present there. Trying to figure out, all right, how do we do this project by project with three leaders when we all want to
4: be doing everything? I think design especially is such kind of an ambiguous thing and, and two people can have opinions on what the design should look like and neither are wrong. But at the end of the day, you need to find like a diplomatic way to come to consensus. And where we were totally horizontal previously, the competitions were taking, you know, months, two months. And I think we've now found ways to kind of combat it into a weekend of very heavy work, but with one lead designer really just steering the whole process, outlining the schedule for the day each day. And then at the end of the day, if we don't all agree on, a design move. One person is just kind of making the call because we trust them and we've given them the responsibility for that particular project. And it's just so much more efficient, but it also requires having a thick skin for all of us and and trying not to... It's never come from a point of malice. None of us have ever said somebody's idea was dumb because they never are. And it's just trying to find a diplomatic way to say, this is why I think it should be done that way. And you never wanna offend anybody in, in your disagreement. That's a challenge. And I think that's
3: something we continue to try to work through. As you can hear, it is important to find diplomatic ways to reach consensus to maintain a healthy partnership. Another way to protect your partnership and relationships is to develop a partnership agreement. A partnership agreement outlines how your business will operate under two or more people responsibilities of each partner, ownership breakdown, and the profit and loss each partner is responsible for. In addition, the agreement identifies management rules and potential scenarios that may affect the business and resolutions. In the absence of a partnership agreement, operations will be governed by state partnership laws. Now, these general laws may lead to results you didn't intend, so it is important to develop your own. My girlfriend's boss's husband was a lawyer, so I kind of had reached out to him to talk about what a partnership agreement was and how this comes together. And everywhere we looked, everyone we had talked to, you know, there's always that warning about working with friends, right? I think Chris, you had talked to someone too, I think I remember. There's always that warning of, you know, working with friends and like, oh, it's, you know, everyone's got a story about how two great friends started to work together and one one bailed or one screwed the other one and they didn't have an agreement settled or figured out and so it screwed one person over the other. Despite that, I think we we definitely talked about that and I'm maybe hesitant to, to say this out loud, but like we just trust each other. We've worked with each other for so long and we found that, yes, we'll put this partnership agreement together. We'll put it on paper, but it's really just a formality for us it's i think we very much all understand that this is three-way equal ways in every aspect in terms of what we expect from each other and what we all get out from it too that's my my memory of putting this document together yeah
4: i think just to back to lexi's like background of it i think Again, this is going back to, oh, we'll just set up an LLP and we'll all be partners and we should have a partnership agreement in that sense. But then when we finally did hire a lawyer, she said, yeah, I can I can draft you something, but it's going to be completely non-binding because from the eyes of the law, you guys are not a partnership. And so that was something we had to kind of talk about together, like what, what does that mean for us and how we practice? and. I think we do want to still keep it equal as much as we can so I, I guess we did do that partnership agreement. I remember you Jeff finding templates that that we were like yeah th- this is good and I think it is something that will likely you know it's kind of like a prenup you want to you want to get it figured out before <laughs> the bad stuff happens. Right. So I think you know as money becomes more involved I think the long term goal is that we are more of a partnership in a legal entity as well. But as that kind of comes online, we'll have to revisit it for sure to make sure that it is legal so that, you know, if something did happen, which hopefully it never does, but we, we have equal and, and fair way to resolve it amongst ourselves and
3: in the eyes of the law as well. In formally selecting our business, one key factor had a significant impact on our decision, licensure.
4: Initially starting the business we thought would just be a partnership, and it was as clear-cut as that. But as it becomes a a business, there's all these laws as a professional limited liability company, which is a New York State requirement. You need a certain quantity of licensed individuals and to be a partnership, which is how we think of ourselves, but and and perhaps how we practice is as a partnership, but legally, because I'm the only licensed one, everything has to be in my name, which has a, a weight to it because it's not how I want the business to function. I want us all to be fully equal and sharing the liability, obviously, but also obviously. In, in the decision-making. <laughs> but So that that is a challenge as well. And Lexi and Jeff, you guys can talk to that from your
3: perspective, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think maybe it was an oversight. But, you know, thinking didn't realize, you know, that, yeah, obviously, it's, we would all have to be licensed for this thing to be a um, full partnership. And so that definitely weighs on us too. you know, we want to get our licensure and make sure Chris doesn't feel like he's in the position to take on additional liability there. So uh, that's definitely challenging a fire under our butts to get our exams done. So we're all, you know, Early on, we start with this equal three-way uh, partnership. Which I think it is. It's it's on paper only. On all counts. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean, though. Yeah, it's on paper only that we're not. Before we wrap this episode, we wanted to leave you with a few final takeaways from our experience.
6: I would just be thinking about like long-term how I'd like to work. Especially since we've talked to a few people that have their own small practices over the last few years and, you know, there's pros and cons to every scenario. And so Nash Waters, who we talked to practices alone, um, for the most part, you know, he seems really happy. It sounds like, you know, he's the only one though, that's ever going after work and that kind of thing. It sounds like things are coming to him now, but. You know, it didn't sound easy. Maybe alone to not have a place to bounce ideas off of. You know, there's another duo we talked to.
4: K Work Studio.
6: K Work Studio. Yeah, they said that it was great to have that side person to rely on to bounce ideas off of, but also, you know, logistically, can you get this done then, and all hop on next and so maybe they're a similar model to how we're trying to establish as a group. And I've sort of thought about them over the years ever since we talked to them about Yeah. Some of the things, pros and cons they kind of discussed. So
4: when we met with them, what was what was funny is they were like, oh my God, you guys are so much more organized than us. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think we very much did things by the books, like really trying to figure it out but that's not necessarily the right way to do it i think there are other architectural practices who got a project did the project and and kind of figured it out as they went and i think there are ways to do that in under sole proprietorship where you know you can operate as an individual you can take on the risk of not having insurance and it's okay that works too and people do it that way i think we collectively are as risk averse as possible and because we didn't have any projects when we were starting we were more looking at kind of the the check boxes that we needed to to hit but i think that's not the only way to do it and not even necessarily the right way to do it there's many ways to do it so ours is not the only and ours is not necessarily correct it's
3: just our story yeah my advice would be to, you know, go reach out to people, go talk to people that, you know, you know, or university, your school, or maybe you've got family or friends in general. People are very happy to talk to you and I wish share advice. So go do that. With registration forms in hand and a clear direction on our business structure, there was just one more test to complete. We needed a name and we'll share that process in our official firm name next time on Emerging
4: spoke to our history it projected kind of confidence in a way so i think we were all excited that it was the least offensive thing we
3: had come up with so far (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening emerging is a gable media podcast if you enjoy the show please tell a friend and rate and review on apple Podcasts and spotify it really helps and if you're looking for similar content you can find even more at gablemedia.com that's GABLmedia.com. And before we go, if you want to jump ahead and find out more about us and our practice, you can visit us at LVL.studio.
2: From historic homes to modern architecture, brick is one of the most popular building materials around the world. How to allow the house to bridge the gap between the history of the site the approachability of this kind of architecture in this kind of neighborhood, and the sort of nostalgia of materiality for for the client's past, right? And, And Brick really started to provide an answer for that. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. There aren't many materials that easily blend with any style and context, but Brick does just that. I've seen some extraordinary work with Brick so when Gary approached me about hosting this podcast, I couldn't say no. Typically, Tudor-style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure. And when you go in, it's just sad. Yeah. Dark. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design. I speak with industry leaders and share inspiring stories behind their work and ingenious design. You'll see brick that's fashioned into basket weave patterns, sawtooth patterns. What's known in England is diapering. Doesn't sound like you knew them per se, right? They found you through relationships that you had with other. Well, wait, Doug, there's more. Okay. <laughs> we'll go behind the scenes to understand process and even the inspiration that sparked the design. You know, I think we were inspired by all the factory buildings in, in Dumbo. I mean, that is the kind of period of significance, that early American factory building. Design Vault by Glenn Geary. Visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault or search for Design Vault wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now to stretch your imagination.